The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Hello, this is Aaron Strout, the CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast. I have the pleasure today of sitting down in the Warriors downtown Oakland offices with Joanne Pasternak. Joanne is the uh, recently added VP of Community and Executive Director of the Warriors Community Foundation. Welcome, Joanne. Thank you, Aaron. Great to be here. Well, it's great to be here as well, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Not only have I become um, a bit of a Warriors fan, so full disclosure, I'm from the Northeast and I'm a Celtics guy, but... Won't uh, hold it against you, I promise. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, my boss, Jim Weiss, is, is a big fan, and I've sort of developed a soft spot. I live in the East Bay, so I'm close by, and... That was even before they had won their two championships recently, which was a, a nice little perk. Um, but we're talking partly, um, you've had an amazing career and have done some really cool things, but also the Warriors Community Foundation is a big partner in the upcoming Ellie Mae Classic, something that we're participating in. And uh, we wanted to get a little bit of the perspective of why with an organization that really could sort of invest in anything, you know, this is one of the things that you've chosen to do. So we'll, we'll get into that after we backtrack and talk a little bit about your, uh, your past history. Sounds good. In a good way, of course. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it. So one of the things that struck me is, you know, I like to go back and do a little research when we're doing interviews like this. And um, I noticed that on your LinkedIn profile, like tucked at the very bottom after you've expanded it three or four times, that you started off life as a competitive figure skater. So one, I think that's a first for the podcast series. And two, it said a lot to me about who you are. You know, we just met for the first time, but I'm always impressed with folks that really use this word in our prep, stick-to-itiveness. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got into that and what that sort of commitment has meant to your career thus far. Sure. It doesn't take long for me to share with people that I was a competitive figure skater growing up because it truly was part of my experience and built me into who I am today. I sometimes joke though, I don't know whether figure skating chose me or I chose it because it certainly is a sport that requires a lot of commitment. But I started figure skating seriously when I was quite young, um, but actually a little bit on the older side for the sport. I was nine when I became more committed to the sport. And I had had a series of injuries as a youngster and was limited in some of the sports I could do. But figure skating was one that seemed like it would be a good fit. I was also always on the petite side. So it um, worked for me from that perspective as well. But very soon into my time as a figure skater, I found a passion for it. I loved the music and I loved the artistry, but most of all, I loved jumping. I loved getting up high in the air and feeling that power and that force that I could uh, gain from doing a really spectacular and fun jump or a complicated spin. But what figure skating brought me too was the opportunity to test myself every single day. Now with the sport, it looks gorgeous when you see it on TV. It looks like it's effortless, but as we all know, effort goes into making something look effortless. And for figure skating, it's literally falling on your rear end hundreds and hundreds of times before you ever land a complicated jump or um, combination. And for me, I literally fell in the same spot over and over and over while working on um, double jumps. And yet the difference between me and perhaps other people was I kept getting up and no matter what, I kept getting up time and time again. And the first time I tried that complicated jump in competition, I fell, 
I got back up and completed my routine with a smile. And um, that is a skill that I have carried over into my academic life, into my work life, and into my life as a parent as well. And it's a lesson I try to impart upon most people is when you get knocked down, just get right back up again. Um, There was a, a song that was popular about a decade ago that said, you know, um, I get knocked down, but I get up again. And I, I loved that song partially because it described my personality. And I think a lot of that came from feeling that success in figure skate. Well, it's um, not surprising, but always interesting to hear about that. And I think one of the other things I'm going to guess is in addition to that ability to pick yourself up, there are probably a lot of long hours, probably a lot of early mornings, probably a lot of weekends, travel, things like that. And I'm sure that level of commitment and that sort of sacrifice has probably come in handy as you've done these jobs, which again, seem at the surface like very glamorous jobs, but probably require, you know, that type of digging in. And we'll talk a little bit about some of your accomplishments in a minute, but, you know, maybe share a little bit of what it was like having to do those things, especially starting as a nine-year-old where it's not that much fun to have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, travel to the ice skating rink and do your thing. Yeah, Aaron, it's, it's funny you would mention that. I, it, Certainly those early morning sessions, the fog was still on the ice. Uh, You're peering down. And in my day, we did compulsory figures, which were very monotonous. I used to um, use that time while I was practicing to make sure that my tracings were perfectly um, overlapping each other, which was the goal, um, to also conjugate verbs for Spanish class, to work on my spelling. I remember distinctly that I was struggling with a word for a spelling test coming up and I have never forgotten, and I can still think of myself doing an inside loop while doing that same word and doing it to the pattern, N-E-C-E-S-S-A-R-Y, necessary. And um, so it was really a combination of both, but I learned how to take advantage of the time. And um, for me, the the practice and the commitment and the stick that you alluded to earlier were um, equally carried over into school and into other relationships, leadership roles, and things like that. So certainly... As you said, these jobs that sound really glamorous are very glamorous for a portion of the time. But when you to get to that moment of glamour, you put so much work into it. But I think that's why I love events so much. It's the same reason why I loved competition. It was the culmination of months and months or years and years of hard work. And honestly, the, the crowds cheering that I would hear when I would be at a rink, even if it was a small competition with just my mom and my dad and a couple of friends cheering for me, um, is simulated to some degree at a sports environment where everybody's coming together around a common cause to celebrate hard work, either of an individual or of a team. Yeah. And as someone that does events as well, uh, you, you nailed it perfectly, right? It's the, you're there and it's, you know, a day, two days, maybe even a couple of hours and you have people telling you after, Oh my gosh, that was great. And you made it seem so effortless. It's like, yeah, you didn't see the 12 months that led up to that and all the hand wringing in the late night. So I couldn't agree more. Um, I do want to talk about one of those jobs, though. So you had, I think you joined the Warriors uh, Community Foundation back in May. Correct. And prior to that, for the few years before that, you were with the 49ers in a very similar role. And one of the things that struck me um, in the press release that I was reading is that you were able to take their fundraising efforts, and this is just to be crystal clear, cash not in kind, uh, from 1.5 million to 4.6 million, and one of the things that I just want to make the point of is is that this was during sort of a downtime. We know the 49ers are, uh, you know, an epic franchise. As a Patriots fan, we've enjoyed a little bit of that success recently. But you know, what was it that you were able to do using that stick-to-itiveness, using that discipline, using that practicing behind the scenes to really help 
that organization go from, you know, essentially tripling in size in just such a short period of time? So I joined the San Francisco 49ers in 2008 and did enjoy the the success of the um, NFC championship years, three years in a row, which was a lot of fun. But certainly prior to the NFC championships, there was a very distinct strategy that we were using to pinpoint where we wanted our philanthropic giving to be at the 49ers and how to make an impact on the community. So in the early years, the 49ers were giving to hundreds of organizations with small amounts and um, worked very hard to come up with a mission statement, a focus point, and to transform the giving into impact-based life cycle grant making. So rather than giving $10,000 here, there, and everywhere, it was looking at how to give 100000 200000 a million to create long-lasting impact change. And so that was an effort I had the opportunity to lead, certainly having the incredible assets uh, and the history of the 49ers and the alumni support, ownership, and others backing that made a tremendous difference. But it was pushing forward and propelling forward that vision of how to give and telling the stories that ultimately made the largest impact on the fundraising opportunities. And also looking around the community at um, corporate partners who were interested in corporate social engagement. That is an area that has dramatically changed over the last decade. When I first joined the Niners, corporate sponsorship deals were very much about the marketing opportunities, the in-stadium, the hospitality, and some of the social responsibility was nice to have, but not necessary, or maybe it was an afterthought. As corporate social responsibility has evolved, it has become essential, particularly in Silicon Valley and in the Bay Area, to corporations. They want to not only invest in um, being a part of a great franchise and marketing and have hospitality, but it's very important to them that they leverage that to give back. And that is really one of the most exciting things about being in the sports philanthropy area is that we are able to provide a megaphone so that corporate organizations that are socially forward thinking are able to get the word out about the great work that they're doing in the community as well. So as the 49ers moved into Levi's Stadium and brought in some significant partners, there were really incredible commitments that came about from that, from companies like Chevron and Levi's, Intel, Dignity Health, who were looking to do more and do it better and bigger. And um, my opportunity there was to storytell with them and to help them understand the assets that would be available and how we could make it spectacular and just take a vision for Dignity Health on how to bring awareness to early detection of breast cancer and put that on the field and on the video boards, how we could work with Chevron and their commitment to STEM education and to say, you're doing great work. Let's build a STEM Leadership Institute together and showcase how we can change the trajectory of a child's life just by giving them that opportunity starting in seventh grade. So it's interesting because you have an analog happening with the Warriors. And again, I know you just joined, but a new stadium coming up. Um, so you'll be leaving Oracle uh, over here in the East Bay and moving over to the San Francisco side of the Bay in 2019. Um, looking at that as sort of a future you know, jumping off point, knowing that you're here and we're sitting in your office and we were joking about the fact that while it looks very nice, but it's a little Spartan still, that you've been really digging in and focusing over the last couple of months on developing your plan versus spending time decorating. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, sort of what will you take and apply from your time with the Special Olympics in the city of San Jose and then obviously most recently the 49ers and take an organization that really has 
um, become a beacon, I think, in the industry, not only from a winning perspective and winning the right way, um, but also really sort of being integrated in the community. And now you have this bigger potential set of resources and, and greater partnerships that you can take advantage of as you move into a big or not a bigger stadium, but sort of a newer, um, you know, sort of differently thought out stadium. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about that. One of the things that drew me to this opportunity to come here and work with the Warriors was the chance to showcase that the Warriors truly are the Bay's team. So we have been in Oakland for many years. We love Oakland. Oakland is our home. Oakland is our history. And we are continuing to make a commitment to Oakland. And we'll do so even as our arena um, locates itself across the bay. Now, fortunately, it's just a short drive across the Bay Bridge. And in fact, the one thing I have put up in my office is a poster of the Bay Bridge to remind myself that what I'm here to do is to create that bridge between the two communities. So the Warriors have also had a strong presence in San Francisco, and we're building on that. We're excited to be able to have a physical footprint in San Francisco where we can host events, provide really strategic spectacular environment for not just some major sporting events, musical artists, but also philanthropic events, galas, awards, and other um, programs that will enable our philanthropic partners to showcase the work that they're doing. Here in Oakland, we will continue to work with the incredible um, government officials and the school district and others to bring resources to a community that is really grateful for them, but also um, has a room to absorb as much as we can possibly give. So that um, synthesis of looking at where the needs are and what we can do to provide, as I alluded to earlier, that megaphone to give more visibility to programs. Uh, an example is Oakland Promise, which is this wonderful program that's launched here, and the mayor, Libby Schaff, is very involved with it. She has made a commitment, along with the school district and a wide array of corporate sponsors, to give every child who was born in Oakland a college savings account from day one. Because she knows, we know, and sociologists have shown, that when a child is given a bank account, even if it's $100 or $500 from birth, that tells them that they are going to college. That is the story they believe about themselves. So you tell a child they are going, they believe they are going, and off they go. While they need a lot of support along the way, that's exactly where the Warriors Community Foundation gets to come in. So that's something that we're doing in Oakland. When we look forward at San Francisco, we know there are tremendous opportunities there as well. And part of my role here over the next year or two as we're building the stadium and looking at where we're headed is to figure out how we can best support both communities and to look at our focal point and make sure that we're not narrowly focused, but that we're strategically focused. Well, it's a terrific message, and I do have it as a commitment to get Libby on this podcast. I had a pleasure of seeing her speak earlier this year at John Battelle's uh, Shift event. Um, but I do want to actually pick up on what you just said, and one of the reasons we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is you are also very heavily involved in this Ellie Mae Classic, which takes a little bit of a different angle. For those that don't know, it's at the uh, last day of July and the first week of August, really, at Stonebray, which is over in Hayward, up on the hills. It's beautiful, sort of tucked in there. You would never imagine that there's this gorgeous golf course that looks down, and you have almost like this, you know, I don't know how, how wide it is, but almost a 360 view of the not only East Bay, but also South Bay and um, San Francisco as well. This is something where not only do you put 
effort and promotion against it, but you also have fortunately now one of your uh, best players, one, one of your most recognizable players and Steph Curry, who's playing in the classic and that got announced recently, I think a week or two ago. Um, let's talk a little bit about the warrior community foundation and warriors community foundation and its involvement in Ellie May and what that means to you all. And, you know, you specifically being new to the game, you know, what new energy or sort of efforts will you be putting against that? We're excited to be partnering up with Ellie May on the Ellie May Classic, and it is um, a new tournament. Uh, it's only been around a couple of years in its current iteration, but it certainly is one that is growing. And for the athletes who are competing in it, it is growing in prestige as well. Um, as was announced a couple of weeks ago, uh, Steph Curry is participating. He received an exemption so that he is actually competing. It is a lifelong dream for him to be able to compete at the pro level, and he is a phenomenal golfer as he is just an overall athlete. Not a huge surprise. Yeah, no, it never is, is it? But um, with the LMA Classic, one of the elements that appealed to the Warriors Community Foundation was the give back. So integrated into the week of really fabulous golf, spectacular views, and wonderful weather will be um, charitable benefit programs and events. So on um, during the course of the event, they have a pro-am. But then additionally, there's a celebrity shootout, which is taking place, and we will have representation from a number of Bay Area sports teams, but the Warriors will be there, of course, as well. And the proceeds from that event go to support charity. Also, there, throughout the week, you'll see different messaging related to how the give back will be taking place. And two spectacular organizations are involved with that. Um, in addition to the Warriors Community Foundation, Youth on Course and First Tee will be beneficiaries. These two organizations are very much in alignment with the messaging of the Warriors Community Foundation, looking at persistence in education and providing opportunities for kids who are at risk to thrive, to grow, and to be inspired to continue their education. Well, that's great. And one of the things that you and I joked about up front is, um, you know, I said, of course, no surprise that Steph is a great golfer. Uh, you and I joked about the fact that when the Ellie Mae Classic decides to do a mini golf version of their tour, you will be the first one I'm in. on the course because <laughs> that really is your flavor of golf uh, in spite of all that time that you spent being a competitive skater early days. I am still a diminutive sized person. Not that that should preclude me from being a good golfer, but um, I'm up for the challenge if they're up for teaching me. But I'm a pretty good mini golfer. My short game's pretty good. Good. We'll have to make a note of that for the, uh, the folks that put that on and maybe in the next year or two we'll see that come to fruition. Uh, this is the point where I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk a little more about you as a person and sort of, you know, who's inspiring you and a little bit more of a, a fun piece of the, the interview. One of the questions I've started asking uh, some of my guests recently is, tell us something about you that would surprise people to know. We've spilled the, the beans on the competitive skater piece, which you said you tell everybody, so probably less of a surprise. But what's something about you that, um, you know, we might not know about you? Well, I'm a, I'm a born explorer for sure. I've, I have visited 47 of our 50 states. People always ask me which three I haven't. So if you have an invitation for me to go to North Dakota, Kentucky, or Nebraska, I'm in. Um, but I've also visited and lived abroad um, a number of countries and continents as well, including um, live, spending time living in Israel and in Argentina. Um, with that, I have a unique talent, which is I can actually recite all 50 states in alphabetical order in under 20 seconds. Don't ask me to do it right now because we don't need your listeners to be bored by that. But a uh, big shout out to Ms. Kume from Rockville, Maryland, who taught me the song that still sticks in my head and 
helps me to uh, remember that. But I, you know, I love exploring. One of the reasons I love exploring is because I'm so fascinated by people and different cultures and different places and honeymooned in India, um, just loved the people watching opportunities because, um, it gives you such good perspective on where we can take things and how to live our fullest, live our happiest. Um, one of my greatest mentors and friends, Tim Shriver, uh, the president of Special Olympics, wrote a book called Fully Alive. And in that book, he describes his experiences in traveling around the world with Special Olympics and seeing how folks thrive under what seem to be the most adverse of circumstances. And so um, I, I love to travel and I have two children who are nine and seven and have already given them that travel bug. So watch out. We're, we're heading somewhere interesting next summer, I'm sure. Well, I love it. And uh, three funny little quick things. So one, I think my daughter knows the same song that you do. She's 18 and she'll... Nifty United States. It's she called, will yes. zip through them and it's amazing how quickly she can go through two the Rockville, Maryland piece now connects the dots a little for me because I know you're an adjunct professor at American University. George in Washington University. Oh, George yes, Washington, yes, sorry. But I, I love American University as well. Yes, yes. yes. Sorry, I had a, we're, we're potentially hosting an event and it's going to be at American next year. That's why I had American and I went to Georgetown for grad school. So, And I spent a lot of time at the George Washington Library. Um, and then the third was, I'm actually reading a book right now called God of Small Things and it takes place in India. So I've got India on the brain as well. Um, you sort of answered my next question about who inspires you, right? So you mentioned Tim Schreiber. Um, I, I do want to give you an opportunity because I also like to ask, like, is there a book that you've read or anybody else that you want to give a shout out to? Certainly he's an amazing one and what, you know, he's done with the Special Olympics. But um, if not, then we can also move on to our final question, which is about music. So I'll give you an opportunity to reply. My, my hero in life, I have two, but one is actually Tim's mother, Eunice Kennedy Shriver. Um, if I were to wake up and think about who inspires me to be a better person every day and to think about a pivotal moment for me, it was about a year out of law school, I had the opportunity to go work at Special Olympics at their international headquarters in Washington, D.C. in support of the World Games in 2001 in Anchorage, Alaska. Mr. and Mrs. Shriver were still very actively engaged at the Special Olympics at that time and, in fact, were in the office most days if they weren't traveling. Mrs. Shriver challenged all of us to dream big, um, and she led by example. She, too, is diminutive was a diminutive woman, but she um, was strong in her voice, strong in her convictions, and the way that she approached the athletes and the mission and the movement showed me the deepest levels of not just compassion, which I think could actually be a little bit of a condescending word at times when you're referring to athletes with intellectual disabilities, but she saw their full potential. And when I was at Special Olympics, um, a mom came up to me at some point and said, we were working on a project with Sesame Workshop with Sesame Street for um, early, early uh, movement skills for young athletes, particularly young athletes with Down syndrome. And the mom said to me, Special Olympics was the first organization that told me what my child was capable of instead of what they were incapable of. And it, it just recalibrated everything for me. And that messaging comes straight from Mrs. Shriver. And I, I think of her often. I miss her. And, um, you know, I... I truly feel blessed to have had the chance to work with her and to have experienced firsthand some of the sparkle of Sergeant Shriver, the founder of Peace Corps and so many amazing programs. Um, so there, there are two. And then of course my father who grew up in Brooklyn, um, came from a uh, humble background and always had that stick through all sorts of adversity. He knew 
what he was capable of. And yet he never lost sight of his family and the commitment that he had there. And, um, he is dealing with health issues now, but still puts his friend's family first. And, um, so that's somebody I aspire to continue to be like as well. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, uh, as someone that grew up in New England, particularly a lot of time in Massachusetts and just, you know, what a, an imprint the Kennedy Kennedy. Shriver family had on everyone, you know, I, I certainly couldn't agree more. Um, I do want to shift gears to the last question, which is a little bit more of the fun one. And we talked about this up front, but uh, I like to ask everyone because I'm always surprised at how they answer. You're stranded on a desert island. You have one album you can listen to. And uh, I'm always surprised because I interviewed someone, uh, Adam Klein, who had been on Survivor recently. And while he's 26, he looked like he was closer to 19 or 20. Um, But everyone still knows what an album is, which is awesome. Um, What would that album be and why? I am a huge fan of U2. I'm a huge fan of Bono. I love the music. In fact, uh, at the Niners, they had these cards that we would hand out, just a customer relations type of thing. And my walk-in music was Beautiful Day. Um, And it's just there's something uplifting. But I think what has made that an even deeper connection for me was just the social justice issues and the way that Bono has taken his platform and used it as a megaphone in order to help make the world a better place. Again, he's very involved with Special Olympics. He's very involved um, with getting word out for those who don't have the voices to speak for themselves. And so I think that adds to it for me. But I also just really like the music. <laughs> so I'm going to guess that you probably had an opportunity to see them recently at Levi's Stadium. I, I did, in fact, um, and have seen them a number of times. And Bono and U2 actually performed um, pro bono at the World Games for Special Olympics in Dublin, Ireland, a number of years ago and um, really rose in my esteem then as well. Yeah, well, I had the, the good fortune of going, and we were close to the second stage at the one that was recently at the Levi's Stadium. And I just, it renewed that amazement and passion and, and sort of respect that I had. And I've liked you two since I was, I don't know, probably in my mid-teens. So it's been a long time for me as well. So great choice on that front. Yeah, and music. I mean, I think being a former figure skater, there is a way that music just gets inside of you. And, you know, when I'm feeling up, when I'm feeling down, there are different songs that can help sort of recalibrate that. My mother is a musician, as is my sister. I have little to no musical ability, but um, I do appreciate the way it gets inside of you and how it can lift the mood. And as somebody who spends a lot of time in stadiums, arenas, and at events, I can tell you that there is nothing better than when the team's taking the court, taking the field, taking the pitch, um, and you hear that music that just gets the crowd pumped and going. And so, you know, for me, it's always, it's always about pulling everybody together through that. Yes, couldn't have said it better myself. And it's funny just to point out the pitch piece. Clearly, I think you mentioned your husband is involved in the San Jose uh, Earthquakes and uh, soccer team out here in MLS. So clearly someone that's passionate and knows a lot about soccer. Otherwise, you would have called it the field. So. Yes, big, big shout out to the, my husband at the San Jose Earthquakes, Robert Barden, and the work they're doing there in the community as well. One thing I'm so proud of in the Bay Area is that all of our local Bay Area sports teams have shown that they know that it means so much to be great performers on the court, on the field, on the pitch, on the ice, but um, really admire my counterparts at the other teams as well and the work that they're doing to make the Bay Area a more dynamic place. And it's already a pretty terrific place. It really is. 
Well, this is Aaron Strout, the CMO of W2O Group, the host of the What to Know podcast show. I had the good fortune today of sitting down with Joanne Pasternak, who is the VP of Community Relations and Executive Director of the Warriors Community Foundation. Thank you so much, Joanne. Thank you, Aaron. Want more episodes of the What to Know podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Check them out on iTunes, the podcast app, and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash what to know.